Well, today we're talking about the end times, and I want to, um, I want to talk about the rapture today. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 24, verse 40. Last week we talked about the signs of the times, and it seems like when we got home, the news was showing uh, with the Sikh temple and everything that was happening there, we're, we're really living in the last days. There's, there's really nothing to be fulfilled except the rapture. Uh, now, we don't know when it's going to happen, but I want to explain to you really what the rapture is all about, what it means as we look at this series uh, entitled The End. And here's what it says in Matthew 24, verse 40. This is what it's going to look like. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Ray Backey shares a story from World War II. He said, I knew an American professor who taught in Glasgow named MacDonald, who along with the Scottish chaplain was put in a prison camp. This is World War II. A high wire fence separated the Americans from the British. And the American MacDonald was in one side and of course the Brit was on the other side of the fence. Unknown to the guards, the Americans had a little homemade radio. And they were able to get news from the outside. And every day, this Professor McDonald would take a headline or two to the fence and share it with the chaplain in an ancient Gaelic language, which the Germans couldn't understand. And one day, news came over that little radio that the German high command had surrendered and the war was over. And these soldiers that were captive in these barracks knew it before the German soldiers knew it. McDonald took the news to his friend and then he watched him disappear into the barracks, that British barracks, and a moment later a roar of celebration came from the barracks. And though they stayed captive for a few more days, those few days were different for those soldiers. Life in that camp was transformed. Men walked around singing and shouting, waving at the guards, even laughing at the dogs. And when the German guards finally got the news three nights later, they fled into the dark, leaving the barracks gates unlocked. The next morning, the Brits and the Americans walked out as free men. Yet they'd been free, truly free, three days before that, when they heard that the war was over. Now, I'm here to tell you in this series called The End that you can have that same kind of confidence and hope and joy in your life because you can know this, you're going to win. In the end, you read the book of Revelation, we win. We win. The rapture is coming someday and we're supposed to look forward with eager anticipation because even though we're not set free from this world yet, there'll come a day when everything that's been spoken, just like it came in those barracks, we should be able to celebrate because Jesus is going to take us home. I want you to pray with me. Father, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit and reveal the truth that it might set us free. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to answer seven questions. I'm going to go quick today about the rapture. What is the rapture? 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is probably the best explanation of what's going to happen. For the Lord himself, talking about Jesus, will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The word rapture isn't actually in the Bible, but let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from the fourth century Latin Vulgate, and it's a translation of the Greek in that Latin Vulgate language. And it's been picked by many as the best single word to express this event described as, and as you saw in that scripture earlier, the way it was translated was caught up. But Latin Vulgate says raptured. And through the centuries, the church is like the word, you know, you, you, you can't say, hey, that, that caught up day is coming. It just doesn't sound right, right? But if you use the Latin Vulgate word, the rapture's coming. And attached to the rapture, you, you know, is this euphoric feeling with that word is used as well, right? You know, we say that was a rapturous rapturous feeling, you know, and, and so there's this catching away that's going to happen, this, this caught up thing that the Greek talks about here in this passage that was translated the rapture, and that's where it comes from, and what it describes is an event where Jesus is going to come back and take hundreds of millions of followers of Christ. He's going to spare them the trauma of death and disaster in the great tribulation, which I'll talk about next week, by the way. Next week's sermon is entitled, Beauty and the Beast. Come and hear it, and, uh, and, and uh, I think you know who the beauty is that I'll be talking about next, next week. But, but it's, it's kind of cool to look at everything that's going to happen in the monetary system, and I'll, I'll be on that next week. But these saints that are here and alive will be caught away and spared all the trauma of that tribulation. And that's what the rapture is. Now, who gets to go? Only the faithful believers in Jesus Christ get to go to heaven. John 3, 16, you know the verse, the reason it's used so much, the reason it's so loved is because it explains it so well. It's, it's so simply explained in this passage. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. Now I'll add this. If you believe, you will follow with your life. If he's Lord, then you put him first. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. From the time of Adam, man had sinned against God. Man's sin had separated them from God, the creator. God has to punish sin. And when man sinned, they, their separation was caused. And the only way that that bridge, that chasm uh, could be bridged was for Jesus to come and die and give his life. And Jesus came down to this earth, lived a sinful life, uh, did miracles, showed us how to live, and he came to die on the cross. That's what this verse is talking about. And that day that he was on the cross, the, the iniquity of us all, the Bible says, all of our sins fell on him. And God punished our sins by punishing Jesus Christ. He's so altogether just that sin has to be punished. He can't let it go. He's righteous and just. That makes sense when you talk about sin where people are wounded, right? Don't you want righteousness and don't you want good judgment if, if there's a child molester? Well, all sin's evil and terrible. And God can't cohabitate with it. God won't bless it. It must be punished. And in a supreme act of love, he poured his punishment, the punishment of man's sin out on his own son, that that wrath would not be poured out on us. And now his amazing grace is offered through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And if we'll believe that he came and paid the price for our sins and we'll accept him and follow him with our lives, we will be saved. John 1.12 says this, 
Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Three now, another question. Who's left behind? Who doesn't get to go? Who has to go through the great tribulation? John 3.18, it's the same verses following John 3.16. I find it interesting that we'll read John 3.16 and even John 3.17, but we don't hear the next two quoted too much because it has to do with, with judgment. Not my judgment or yours, but God's. People who believe in God's Son, it says, are not judged guilty. Those who do not believe have already been judged guilty. Now, I'm reading you the Bible. I know that's not popular in the culture. I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to teach the word of God as it is and I have to answer to almighty God for the way I present this word. And here's what it says. Those who do not believe or have already been judged guilty because they've not believed in God's one and only son. They are judged by this fact. The light has come into the world but they did not want the light. They wanted darkness because they were doing evil things. I've been enjoying uh, watching the Olympics and I was watching men's volleyball one day and they were talking about a great player from Italy and they said he had a tattoo and he was really popular in his nation and his tattoo said, my life, my rules. And uh, that's pretty much what people who won't receive Christ or choose not to receive Christ say, hey, I'll, I'll be in control of my life. I'll do what I want to do. And God won't make us serve him. If, if he wanted to, he could uh, just throw a circle of fire around us and a voice from heaven would say, bow or burn, and we'd bow. But he's given us all a chance because he loves us. He wants us to be drawn to his love. He wants to give us salvation. The last sermon I'm going to do in this series talks about heaven and hell and the reality of those things. There is a reality there. And God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He loves us. It's said in verse 17, Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but he came that we might be saved. He wants all to be saved. He doesn't want any to perish, the Bible says. But when that witness is given and people willfully, deliberately, continually refuse it, it's the unpardonable sin. And they will be judged. And I'll tell you, I'll show you next week, you can be saved in the great tribulation, but you don't want to be in the great tribulation. There are some people, not not as many as... You would hope, but some get saved during the great tribulation, but, but there's such martyrdom and, and anger and terrible things that will happen towards Christians that you really want to come to Jesus and be caught up. The Bible says that we'll be spared from the wrath, and that's one of the reasons Jesus is coming, to take us away in the rapture. Verse 22 says, on judgment day, uh, um, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead of myself, not everyone who says they're Christians get to go. I just want to bring that out. Just because you say something with your mouth doesn't mean you mean it, right? If you really believe, you follow with your life. When Jesus first met those apostles, they were fishing on the riverbank, and he basically said to them, drop everything and follow me. Make me the main focus of your life, and they did. And some people, uh, they'll just say a prayer maybe for fire insurance, right? And... and um, but they don't really mean it, and they don't live any differently. They don't have any concern to follow Christ with their whole heart. Uh, he's more of an afterthought when they need something. And let me read some scriptures to you. 
I'm glad I don't make this call, but I'm telling you, God's gonna make the call someday. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus speaking now. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Whoa, that's serious business. That is not predominantly what the church in America is teaching today, by the way. But it's very much in the Bible. We're skipping the hard sayings of the Bible these days. You can't skip it because it's too important. There's too much on the line for people's life. Verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. That seems pretty spiritual, doesn't it? And we cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name. And Jesus says, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Well, when you think of God's laws predominantly, I think in the Old Testament, the thing that still carries on for all of us today is, is the moral law of God, right? Because the, the, the government, governmental law was for the tribe of Israel and, and, and uh, the other laws of, of sacrificing um, animals, obviously with the new covenant fulfilled, we don't have to do that anymore. There's only one aspect of the law left and Jesus said don't take away one comma or one period of that and it has to do with the Ten Commandments, the laws. Now, they don't save you but the, the, you can't get saved by your behavior. But when you get saved, your behavior changes when you truly get saved. And you have a desire to follow. And you may stumble and fall, but you're not willfully, continually, deliberately living a lifestyle of sin. And those who do that are in great, great danger. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. These are the words of Christ, every one of these verses. 1 John 2, 3 says, uh, we know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. There's something about the fruit of our lives that shows that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, can people fake that? Yes, they can. But what Jesus is saying, I want it in your heart and I want it lived out in your life too. And I just think it's something we should all be aware of. I didn't make those scriptures up. You might vary your interpretation a little bit, but it's pretty pointed when it says not everyone who calls me Lord gets to go. So we should be serious about our lives and our commitment to him. Is he really the Lord of your life or just an afterthought? Fourth question, when will this happen? Revelation twenty two twenty says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. The rapture, there's a good word that all the scholars like to use as I was studying called eminent. And they said, they, they will say it, that, that his return is eminent, that our heart should be to understand that it could, be, it could happen at any moment. I talked about the signs last week and that they're labor pains and that uh, women have 30 to 50 labor pains and they're not having a baby when they have those first lab, labor pains. They're not having it in that moment, but it's soon coming, right? And we're in the labor pain season of, of this earth and, and, and God's history right now. And Jesus is about to come back. And Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And we should be, be living like he could come at any moment. Some people have tried to predict the rapture um, and when it will happen. As a matter of fact, that, that happened this year. But they can't. And every time I see that, I just think it's so dumb. Because the Bible says, no one knows, here it is in Matthew 24, about the day or the hour or even not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. How about that? Jesus doesn't even know. But the Father 
is going to speak in some moment and Jesus is ready and he'll come in the clouds just like we're talking about today. I kind of like this billboard that was after someone predicted this year uh, and it didn't happen. Uh, someone put up a billboard somewhere and said, that was awkward. No one knows the day or the hour. Thank God for reasonable people who know the scriptures, right? I, I think the enemy likes it when uh, saints get too excited and, and get ridiculous and and start uh, being full of themselves, and so he'll, he can even take advantage of well-intentioned people, the enemy can, and so we have to be reasonable. We don't know the day or the hour, and let's be honest, right? 2,000 years ago, they were thinking he would come soon, and, but he wanted, he wanted them thinking that way, because really, your life could be gone any moment, right? You could drive out of here and get hit just leaving these grounds and lose your life, and you, you never know when your ticket is up, but also, he wants us to live like he could come back at any moment. And I'll tell you this, we're closer than we've ever been, right? After all these years. And here should be our attitude, Matthew 24, 42. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day our Lord is coming. I don't think there's a better motivator than, than knowing that the imminent return of Jesus is, is in front of us. It's a motivator to know that he'll be here at any moment and it causes us to live more holy and righteous. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're not talking about people who think they're a big deal. We're talking about loving Jesus so much that we follow with our whole hearts. It, this moves us when we think of Jesus coming soon. Even last week's sermon, people were saying, somebody was going on vacation and said, I'm coming back. I wanna, I wanna hear, I wanna hear the, the rest of this end time stuff. And someone else said, man, it makes me want to tell my friends who don't know about him that this is going to happen soon. Jesus coming, believing that it's imminent, is a great motivator for the church. And that's the way Jesus wanted us to live so that we might tell our friends. There's a story about a farmer who had a very close relationship with his dog. When the old man died, they took his body and put it in a coffin, put it in a train, and the dog followed that first day. According to the story, the dog uh, ran toward the train every single day after that when it would come in. And he was uh, hopeful, and in vain here, but he was hopeful that the master who got on that train dead would sometime return again to him. And that dog showed up day after day after day. I thought of that and I thought, you know, we, we have the hope that not only has our master been taken away, but he is going to show up someday. And then I thought about another dog, Tinkerbell. We were on vacation recently with, um, uh, uh, well, actually, we, we went to Sun River, and Randy and Megan Campbell were pastors, and they were there with their daughter. We were there with our daughter, so we're, we've been friends for years, so we didn't plan it, but we just got together for a couple days, and it was so funny. When we went to their house at Sun River, their little dog, every time Randy leaves, the dog will go into his room and grab his slippers and pull it into his little bed where he sleeps, just anticipating Randy's imminent return. And the reason I like this dog story better than the other one, the other one's sad, it doesn't go fulfilled, but I got to see the promise fulfilled for Tinkerbell, who couldn't wait till her master gets home, and we open that door, and Randy comes in, and Tinkerbell's, whoa, she's on the ceiling doing skid marks, you know? The master has returned. He must be good to that dog. Well, Jesus has been way better to us. And we ought to anticipate his return because he is coming, and he loves us. What will it be like? It's going to be strange. There's never been anything like it. There are a few movies that are made, you know, about Martians and body snatchers and 
that, that kind of uh, would reveal a little bit of what it might be like. But the Bible tells us, and here again, it's similar to the passage I said at first, but it's a different location. That night, Luke 17, two people will be asleep in one bed. One, you know, you, you say, is it night or is it day? Well, it's, and it's an instantaneous moment across the world, so it's night and it's day. Because it's dark on one side of the planet. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed, and one will be taken, the other left. Oh man, that's sad to think that a, a husband, a wife, might not go. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill, and one will be taken, the other left. How many of you have read any of the books in the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jenkins? Wow, look at this. Amazing. Uh, let, me, um, let me read to you something from page 47 of his book, Left Behind, that kind of explains what it might look like in an instant when the dead in Christ will rise and we that are alive will be caught immediately after. They try to give us a little snippet of what it might look like. LaHaye says, local television stations from around the world reported bizarre occurrences especially in time zones where the event had happened during the day or early evening. CNN showed via satellite the video of a groom disappearing while slipping the ring onto his bride's finger. A funeral home in Australia reported that nearly every mourner disappeared from one memorial service, including the corpse. While at another service at the same time, only a few disappeared and the corpse remained. Morgues also reported corpse disappearances. At a burial, three of the six pallbearers stumbled and dropped a casket when the other three disappeared. When they picked up the casket, it too was empty. I think of these things. I think of a song that I wrote years ago. You don't, you don't know this, but I've, I've done a couple of music albums. A few of you know it who are really old. I'm leaving it to my kids now because they're way better than, than I am. Or ever been. But I wrote a song called You Could Be Gone. And, um, and here's a couple of verses. The waitress is busy. The customer's rude. He keeps demanding more coffee. And his language is crude. She keeps her composure and she's so polite. The customer says you can never get it right. She starts to pour. And in an instant, she's no more. The, coffee, the, the customer jumps as the coffee hits the floor. You could be gone in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You could be gone in a moment caught up into the sky. You could be gone in a moment in the sweet by and by. You could be gone. You could be gone. You could be gone. Another verse, Pastor Jeff mentioned it. The halfback breaks out just one man to beat. He's hit, but he spins. He stays on his feet. He's at the 30 and 20. Now he's near the goal. Just before he crosses, the announcer says, whoa, he disappeared. He's gone. You could be gone in a moment. These kind of things, this instantaneous disappearance are going to happen all over the world. The Bible tells us, you know, there'll be some of us, sad to say, there, there may be someone here in this room who doesn't go. If, if statistics or odds are right, there's some here who won't go because they won't, they won't receive, they won't accept, they won't commit. And they'll have to go through that great tribulation. But many will remember these words that are spoken for the preachers who, who spoke them. For the teachers who had the courage to say. And they'll still be one even through the great tribulation because they hold to it. But boy, they're probably going to have to become martyrs to do it. In one hand, 
we can laugh at some of these things. On the other hand, it's really no laughing matter. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. I remember when I grew up, my dad talked a lot about the rapture. It seemed like every other service, you know, it was the rapture. And uh, I, I mean, he had me scared to death, you know. I, I, I felt like if I made one mistake, I might, I might miss it, you know. And I remember one night, because we lived with this thought that it, it's going to happen at any moment. I came home from a basketball game in Astoria, which meant I lived in Dallas, Oregon at the time. We lived in a, in a trailer house uh, there n- next to the church where my dad pastored. And I came in 11.30, long drive back from the game. We came back that night. And as I walked into that trailer, the door was wide open at, at, at nearly midnight. And I went to flip the switch, and the power was not there. And my first thought is, oh, no. <laughs> I said, Mom, Dad, Connie. And I thought, oh, she might not make it. Lauren! Nobody answered. Everybody's gone at midnight, and I, I have no clue why. I think, oh my word, it's, has it happened? Did I miss the rapture? I thought I was okay. <laughs> and I, I remember being afraid that, well, maybe there's a burg- burglar in here, you know? So I, I went through every room, checking every closet and checking under every bed in the, in the middle of the night with no one in the house. And I remember after several minutes, I got to the back bedroom that was my parents and I had checked under the bed I don't know what I had done if I had found someone died of a heart attack probably <laughs> but there was one little closet left and I opened that closet and I thought man if someone's here they're in that closet I opened that closet I'm not kidding you it looked just like a person jumping on me it was the ironing board that, that, <laughs> that fell out it has those little things that come out the side it looked just like a man going like that to me I screamed, ah, and I wrestled the ironing board to the ground, and oh my word, it was, it was terrible. I found out later the power had gone out hours before, and they'd gone to a neighbor's till the power came on, but um, it, it was good for me to have those thoughts. Did I miss it? Did I miss it? This is not something you want to miss. You could miss an appointment, but don't miss the rapture. You can miss a date, but don't miss the rapture. Let's get our hearts ready. Here's some interesting, some interesting knowledge about this as well. What happens to those who've already died? First Thessalonians 4. And and remember, so they had to know Jesus before they died. Someone said, well, they get another chance. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where after someone dies, they get another chance from from the New Testament forward uh, with the new covenant. And and that's why what we're doing is such serious business. 
Why are we willing to take heat from people who don't know Jesus and be persecuted and, and, and in some cases even die, as I talked about the 150 martyrs a day across the world? Because there's so much on the line for people who don't know him. But here it says what will happen for those who do. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him back, or rather will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, This is how it's gonna happen. And with the trumpet call of God, first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. That's what'll happen first in the rapture. And then immediately after, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, I thought it was an... I thought it was interesting that I don't think the encouragement was just about living life here for him. But he started by saying, hey, I just want to let you know about the, your loved ones who've gone before. And he wants you to be encouraged about your loved ones who've gone before because doesn't it hurt bad? Boy, Karen and I found out how bad it hurts a few months ago when she lost her precious mother. What an amazing lady. And, but we're not like those who have no hope because we know we're going to see her again. The trumpet call of God that's mentioned here, I, I kind of like this thought, I just wanted to throw it in. In the Old Testament, they would blow the trumpet um, and it was a sign to pack up and move on when they were in the desert. When that trumpet would blow, it's time to pack up because we're going. And when that trumpet blows for the rapture, that's it, man, we're going. Verse 14 says, God will bring back with him those who've died. Now, have you thought about that? Not only is Jesus coming back, but by the way, this is not the second coming. The second coming is after the great tribulation. Jesus doesn't come all the way down to the earth. He's in the clouds on this one. So he's coming back, but it's not the second coming completely to the earth. The second coming is when he sets his foot down on Mount, uh, Mount Olivet, Olivet rather, and he starts to rule and reign over the earth. I'll tell you about that later, all right? I just want to mention that. But this is the rapture. And when he comes in the clouds, he's bringing the spirits because their bodies are still here. But their soul, their spirit goes to heaven. And that's where they are right now. And there's the same people, right? Because when Jesus said, uh, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus recognized his name. And he, and he, and he came back into his body that day. Well, we're going to have some spirits meeting some bodies again in the air when our loved ones who've gone before, who know Jesus Christ, are there when Jesus comes back in the clouds. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. So their bodies, their renewed bodies, their transformed bodies, the body that was called immortal, right? Because we're not going to get old anymore. I don't know what it looks like, but young people won't be young and old people won't be old. We're going to have this immortal body. And, and there's a bit of mystery to that, but that much we know. And they're going to have a brand new body and they're going to be, and so their bodies come to meet their spirits. And immediately after, here we come. And our bodies and our spirits are going up together in the rapture because we didn't have to die. I kind of like that fact. I'd rather be raptured than die. That's just the way I feel about it. You know, one of them's coming, and I just want to be ready. But, but rapture, that sounds really, really cool to me. But think of the reunion in those moments. You 
are caught up into the clouds with Jesus Christ. Now, I think Jesus is going to be so amazing and so beautiful and so awesome and his character, and we're going to worship him first. But immediately after, I think there might be a celebration with your mom and your dad who've gone before. I'm looking forward to meeting my, my older brother who died in a fire at 23 months old. I never met him. I'm looking forward to seeing grandma and grandpa again. And I I thought of this when I was reading this and I could just see Karen and her family just dancing in a circle when they saw their mom, just jumping around. I just visualized that in my mind because we're going to be together again. And that passage said that, that they're they're coming with them. Did you you hear that? The the Christians who've died uh, are coming back with them and then their bodies will rise from the grave and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air and we'll all be with the Lord forever. And that leads me to my last point then. How should I live in the meantime? Well, here's what I like to say. Live like he's coming back tomorrow and work like he's not coming in your lifetime. Right? If God's giving a dream, and we heard a dream that's being fulfilled today, we can get a lot done in the next 10 or 20 years if, if that's how long it takes. He might come tomorrow, but let's just keep working. Hebrews 10, 36 says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. I mentioned it last week. I want to mention it again, just capsulizing. How should we live? Know the word of God so that you're not deceived by the teaching, the erroneous teaching of men, by the false doctrines, false religions. Don't let the news media that doesn't love Jesus tell you what the Bible says because they always misinterpret it and use it to their, uh, one-sided to their advantage. Know what it says in grace and truth. And secondly, be a faithful, obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Not just professing, but believing and following. And then be fruitful. Okay, I just want to say this as simple as I can. Get to work. Get to work. He's coming for the saints that are faithfully doing his will. And he's got work for you to do. And if you're not doing it, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I, I believe this, he'll tell you what it is. And if you ask him, he'll show you the kind of things that he would have you to be doing, but it's certainly not nothing. Is that a double negative? I don't know. It's something. It's not just sitting around. You know, I thought of that term, I, I remember working at a mattress factory in, in Missouri when I was a teenager, and I remember somebody saying, everybody look busy, the boss is coming. And I thought, huh, I guess we don't have to be busy. We just need to look that way. Well, well, listen, don't just look busy. Be busy for Jesus. I, I'm, I'm for, you know, a balance of reaching to your family because that's great ministry and relationship there, right? There's no better ministry, no more important ministry than that. But there has to be a balance of something beyond just your family. You're not even teaching your family how to minister. You're just teaching them to love each other and leave everybody else out. It's something for someone else so that they might know the love of God, so that they might come to Jesus. When Jesus gives you a dream, you want to know if it's your dream or his? 
Well, his dreams always include his love going to others. Our dreams include a lot coming to us sometimes. But his dreams always include his love going to others through us. And so he'll call us to a big dream that people might know him. Just recently, when we were in Central Oregon on, uh, on vacation, we were at a, a nearby lake there. And um, I wanted to walk out on the, on the dock and the water's so clear there at this lake and I, I, I just wanted to see if there are any fish out there. I, li- I like to fish. I didn't have a pole, wasn't gonna fish, but I just wanted to see them and you know, salivate a little bit. And I walked out there and Karen and I were looking at a few trout and we said hello to this man probably in his early 50s. He said hello, he's very nice. Started to talk about the lake and in a casual conversation as he talked about his life, he said, when we lost my son. And he just went on, to, you know, very matter of fact. And that, that one stuck with me when he said it. And um, I thought, man, he, he lost his son. And, and then I started to say, Lord, do you want me to talk to this guy? Because I was feeling prompted to. And uh, I just met him. You know, I'm all for relationship, but there's a bunch of places in the Bible where Jesus first meets people and he gives them a serious witness right away. Sometimes we won't see anybody again ever in our lives, but the Lord will bring a word that's just so loving to show that he's there, um, that, that we can just, you know, leave it with a kind thought and kind deed and, and let the Lord and the Holy Spirit work with it. Because they're not in the Bible, right? They're not reading the Bible. And the Lord's drawing them, and one of the ways he's drawing them is through us. And long-term relationship is great. I'm not against that. But uh, stop poo-pooing something that, it's supposed to be shared right now because Jesus did it all the time to people he didn't, he didn't have a, you know, a long relationship with. I felt like the Lord gave me the okay and I was asking him to lead me and I said, um, hey, I, I heard you say as you were sharing there that you lost your son. What happened? And his 17-year-old son had, had died of um, cancer. And... Um, he told the story and you could hear the love of his son. It happened four years ago and, and I said, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. That makes me so sad. And he mentioned, well, my wife, she, she's kind of a spiritual lady, but I'm not. And I'm taking all this in and asking the Lord to, to just give me something, you know. And I told him that I was a pastor and, um, and then I said, um, I called his name. I said, would you mind if I prayed for you? Now, that's, that's, a, that's a long shot, right, with an unbeliever when you first meet him. And um, I actually said, listen, I'm gonna pray for you. And then I said, would you mind if I do that right now? And he said, oh, no, okay. So I prayed and I said something like this, Lord, I believe you sent me here to Mark today because you want him to know how much you love him because you want him to know that you don't want him to have to navigate all these things by himself and you want to draw him to you. I thank you for a wife who's a believer. And I pray that you'd minister to him. He was there with his other kids and grandkids and that you'd help the kids catch big fish this week. And Lord, I pray as he goes through his day that he would know that you want to come alongside him and show him how special he is to you and how you want to bless his life from this time forward. And that was it. We took off. But I'll tell you this. 
I, I prayed, I've prayed for him several times. And I'm going to keep praying. And, and, and you say, why do you do that? I mean, first of all, I've had mentors who do that, right? Um, Donnie Moore. Don, Donnie can go into a bar for, to get a cup of coffee and minister five times before he comes out. People will be sitting in a circle to hear, you know. I, I'm just telling you, the Spirit of God loves people so much. And God doesn't want any to perish. And we don't want this rapture, this rapturous feeling to be just ours, right? We're just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread because Jesus loves them so much. So, let's see what it says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who de- desires drink, freely from the water of life. 